Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hello. Welcome to episode four. Hello, you guys. We're so happy to be here again. Oh, we hope that you enjoyed the last three that we dropped. And we are so excited to get into a normal schedule and routine. Um, I, yes, we're just... I'm literally speechless, which you'll find does not happen often. I'm so excited that this is finally happening. Again, like we said, and I think every episode before this, this has been a long time in the works, and we're just so excited that it's finally coming out. We're finally... I'm coming out. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah, Abby's excited. So we're just, we're happy to be here, and we hope that you liked a little historical story that we did in episode two. In episode three, we hit the 80s. And in episode four here, Abby has taken us down, I think, we're, are we crossing the pond? Um, yes, actually, to the land down under. Oh my. Which I won't even try to do an accent because, yikes. For the love of it, don't. For the love of all of it, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am going to cover the story of Catherine Knight. Do you know this one? I am not familiar well, boy, am I excited to tell you about it. I'm trying to figure out if she's the offender or if she is the victim. But I think we're going to find out real soon. We sure are. So here's what I want to start with. Typically, you know, um, in these sorts of storytelling that true crime falls into, we either start at the beginning when they're babies. We start in the middle during the crime. But I'm not going to do either of those today. Oh my God, I love it. Another Tarantino-esque story. Yes, I'm going to ask you what your worst day as a kid looked like. Oh my God, this is horrible. Yes. With no heads up. Jesus, I got to think about that. Well, I'll tell you what mine was. Um, Love you so much, mom. So sorry. Ours was the three-day room cleaning from hell. There was a very specific event. I am a messy person. Well, Yeah, no, I'm messy. I'm not dirty, but I'm unorganized. So yeah, messy person. Worse as a kid. My mom frequently says, I think with love, that I am one of the few people who has a special talent of walking into a room and making it look like a tornado came in. Oh my God. My dad would say I would just leave a trail of half drinking (laughs) like water bottles. Yes. That's how you'd know I'd been there. The real walk of shame is bringing the half empty water bottles down from your room. Oh my God. If they ever made it there. If, if they ever made it there. That that meant that I actually like had to look them in the eye with them in my hands. I stuffed them in a bag and just buried that deep. I also did a lot of bag stuffing. I just put shit in other shit until it looked cleaner. Oh my God. I have a bag of bags here. Same. The one, and it's not still. Big, the bag isn't bigger than the other bags. It's just all the <laughs> other TJ Maxx bags stuffed into that one as if I'm going to need all of them someday. Yes, you will. You will. That's what they say. I just emptied out my plastic bags from my closet. I don't think I've done it since I moved into my apartment years ago. Oh, no. And they literally fit to the brim, almost didn't close a full trash bag. That's that's a tragedy. Yeah, it's (laughs) trash. It needed to go. But it was good. And yes, I recycle them. Jeez, get off my back. Oh, my God. I was just about to harass you for that. I know. No, they went to the store. They went in the little thin plastics recycled. Well, look at you. So we love your mom so much, but 
So that was it. The three-day room cleaning from hell was the excursion that was probably what I could legitimately call the worst part of my childhood, which I am content with. That is a fine worst day. Did you have to purge like your favorite stuffed animal? No, but there was the threat if by the end of the timeline that we had, it wasn't cleaned up, a trash bag was coming out and anything left over was going in it. I was so messy as a kid. Like, I don't blame her. No, it was awful. But same. It was bad. I was so messy as a kid that I was told repeatedly, clean your room, clean your room, put your clothes away, do this. And I just yesed them to death and I didn't actually do it. And one day I got home from school and my bedroom door was off my bedroom. That's some Freaky Friday shit. No, seriously. It's exactly what it was. And it was like, well, you know, now now, now you, everyone has to look at it. <laughs> like, beam, <laughs> look at it. <laughs> and then my room was cleaned. Yeah, naturally. So, did you get your door back? I did. Hooray. I did. Um, okay, so do you have a memory in mind? No? Okay, oh, good childhoods here. Sorry, guys. Nothing too juicy. But I want you to imagine your parents are divorced. They are fine. They're in love. Well, not in love with each other, but they're loving life and they love you and you don't feel bad about that. But one day your stepmom sends you to a sleepover. And okay. then when you come home in the morning, there is sitting at your seat a nice home cooked meal in it. And in this cooked meal, there's a baked potato, there's pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, squash, gravy, all of these delightful things. But it's like dinner food. You had me at baked potato. And breakfast, which I will eat raw potato and my roommate can attest to that. So oh I love potato. God. But, um, I think that would be a little weird. I don't think I'd want zucchini for breakfast. Yeah. Is that fair? Fair. Fair? Fair. Okay. So we love a normal traditional meal. Now we're going to hop into Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight was born on October 24th in 1955 in New South Wales. Uh, my favorite fun fact about Catherine Knight is that her parents were literally Ken and Barbie. No way. Yes. Her, well, stepfather, his name was Ken and her mom's name was Barbara, which is very cute until we learn literally anything about them. But so if you just end it here, it's a really dream great, house. Wholesome story. Damn. Like it. Love it. Yummy little brekkie. Cute little Barbie dream house. Pink little convertible. I have a feeling this is going to shit. Beep, beep. Is that my Bessie and a Tessie? It ain't. Oh. This is worse. Oh, no. So Ken, Barbie, and Catherine, we love to see it. Barbie and Catherine. I'm going to keep calling her Barbie. I think she probably went by Barbara, but I like it a lot more. But if you hear me refer to Barbara, that's who it is. Gotcha. So Barbie is like, "Mm -mm, I'm married to Jack Ruffin. And with Jack, she had Catherine. But after starting an affair with Ken Knight, her original husband's co-worker, which was pretty big deal in small town, they that's when they moved to Marie. Marie, Australia, much like my middle name, um, (laughs) was a small town. And this was just kind of a place for them to get away because ultimately Catherine was one of twins and they were of mixed race. So her mother was an indigenous Australian from Marie, but when she married an Irish man, there was kind of hope because they were a little lighter skinned and perhaps 
able to escape some of like the blatant racism that all indigenous people seem to face for some reason, even though they were literally here first. Not the point. So Catherine was close to her twin, but she was also close to one uncle, Uncle Oscar, who was like a literal horseman. Like, he, I think a jockey. Gotcha. Okay. But he committed suicide in 1969, which was quite sad. She was devastated and like to this day maintains that his ghost visits her. And that was like her closest relative? That was her closest relative next to her twin. Gotcha. So her twin doesn't really come up a whole lot in this story, which I find interesting. I don't know if they were close at the time that the events occurred, but this is just some background on her, how she grew up. Ken, Barbie's husband number two, which we love it. Get it? You little slinky minx. Do your thing. Um, He was a heavy alcoholic. So things are not looking great for Ken and Barbie. He used violence and intimidation a lot. And there are reports from the girls that he used to rape barbie up to 10 times a day in the presence of their children yes that's horrific pretty bad so barbie used to tell the girls how much she hated sex and men because of this and later like in her life Catherine also had some sexual assault that she told her mom about her mom's advice was to put up with it and stop complaining wow quote unquote My comment in my notes was nice. Yep. That's all I have. So Catherine did report sexual abuse from multiple family members until she turned 11. And even though that she denies it was her father or her stepfather, the abuse was confirmed by other family members. And since they didn't refer to who, I don't want to throw accusations out there, but it did say that that was confirmed by family members and that she didn't say it was her father. Oh, no. My concern, honestly, might be that it was her uncle that she was close to. I'm not accusing him, but concerned because there was an expiration date on, you know, his involvement in her life and also the abuse. Oh, that's a good point. That being said, it is not confirmed. Please do not track down this. And I would think it awful. I would think it would be Ken because he's already a predator. Yeah. So there are clearly multiple people that it could have been. And unfortunately, Occam's razor says it probably was as many as could get away with it, which is nasty. That's awful. Pretty bad. And that's where we're starting. (laughs) So Catherine goes to high school. And as we all know, high school is a lovely time that everybody enjoys and definitely has a good time in. Um, Not. Catherine (laughs) was a loner and a bully. Oh. She once injured a boy with a weapon and fully injured a teacher. She also left school at 15, apparently without knowing how to read or write, which seems fake, because how the hell do you get to 15 without knowing how to read or write in school? She probably bullied her teachers. She might have injured them, maimed them for a good grade. Jeez. But somehow, despite all of this, she did win awards for good behavior and grades. Really? Somehow. Wow. She probably maimed the guy who rigged that contest, too. And then made someone else do her homework. Nonetheless, Catherine was not having a good time. And I don't blame her. Every Everybody she's ever let into her life has been shitty or left. Yep. So then we get to a career. She said, 15, eh, school's not for me. I'm going to go do the thing. I'll go be an adult, provide for myself, do the responsible thing. I'll get a job. So she gets a job at a textile company like for clothing. And she just would cut out fabric for the patterns. That was her job. 
which kind of sounds therapeutic, actually. Like, I would think the monotonous task of, like, cutting panels of fabric would be good. But 12 months later, she said, mm, not for me. I'm going to go to an abattoir. Do you know what that is? I'll be honest, I don't. It's a hot slaughterhouse. Oh, that sounds a lot more glamorous than it is. Correct. I had to look it up to be like, what in the hell? But no, it is a slaughterhouse. And she referred to this as a dream job. Quote, unquote. She was quickly promoted to boning or deboning the carcasses. Oh, God. I don't know what's worse, boning or deboning. <laughs> yeah. I know which one is worse. <laughs> <laughs> and she actually, at, at this stage was doing the lesser of two evils. Um, But she was quickly promoted to this. And when this happened, her boss gave her a really nice gift. A butcher knives. She kept these above her bed just in case she needed them. And she did this until the day she died. Kept the butcher knives above her bed? Yes. And by died, I do mean her her former life. Oh. So. Let's talk about David Kellett. David Kellett uh, met Catherine in 1973. According to all accounts of their friends, she dominated him in literally every way, which I cannot help but think applies to some other realms. Boning? Sure. Or deboning. Oh. If she's dominating. Who knows? So, (laughs) sorry to David Kellett. You don't deserve that. But they met in 1973. She dominated him all the time she was huge and like strong and she would literally back him up anytime he got into fights like offering to throw hands or take out firearms to finish a fight wow so he was kind of like her little sidekick yeah i literally put in my notes love at first fight no yeah oh my god the dad jokes you're just keeping them going in terrible So as you can expect because this is so romantic they get married in 1974 don't tell me they have kids but before this happens david gets a spooky yuki warning from barbie barbie Catherine's literal own mother says and i have this in quotes i did get this from murderpedia so i don't know if this is an exact quote but this is what has been recounted in a few different places so i'm assuming it's pretty close she said you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll fucking kill you. I can't imagine my mom saying that to my fiance. I can't imagine my mom saying that, period. I, even if it was someone who would fuck someone up. I know. I just, Im- like, imagine you're <coughs> dressed up to literally get married and your in-laws, like, yeah, good luck. You'll die. <laughs> yeah, she's out for blood, just so you know. Yes. So um, this says that there were clues that her family and friends knew about. And David, I can't assume, doubted them for <laughs> long because on the same literal wedding night, Catherine tries to strangle David. On their, like, honeymoon? It's wedding night. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know why? I don't know. (laughs) Her reason cited was that they only fucked like three times before he fell asleep. No. Cuckoo, cuckoo, (laughs) cuckoo. 
That is, wow. All right. She said, you can go more or I'll fucking kill you. But she didn't kill him. So (laughs) for all of your anticipation, she was a very abusive and violent partner. She is cited while being heavily pregnant, hitting him in the head with a frying pan, which left him with a fractured skull. That is so horrific. She pulled out the puppy dog eyes and got him to drop the charge for it, though. I'm I'm surprised that was even an option. After being strangled on their wedding night and getting a fractured skull. And you know there was a lot that happened in between those two things. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you do. Jeez. So remember when I said she was pregnant when she hit him? Yeah. Babies. No. Yeah. My first comment was also, oh, no. (laughs) Melissa Ann was born on May of 1976. And at this time, like pretty quickly after David left for another woman in Queensland, which you could expect, he literally cited the violence as a reason. Uh, I can't imagine that we were under any delusions that Catherine thought the violence was a love language. So that probably didn't come as too big a shock. But Catherine is pissed. She's like literally stomping down the street with a baby pram, like tossing it from side to side. So she's involuntarily admitted into a hospital. So he left her, but also their their child. Yes. And he just took off with another woman and said, I'll start over. Yep. Jeez. Yes. So she goes to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth. She might know how to get to Sesame Street. They never told us. But <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Sorry to St. Elmo's. I'm sure you're a fine hospital. But... So she goes there after this whole fit of rage, like with the baby pram going down the street. I didn't find where her child went during this time, but I would assume maybe with her mom, maybe with her twin beats me. Honestly, could have been with Kellett, but she did end up getting the baby back afterwards. So I wouldn't assume so. But at St. Elmo's, she is diagnosed with postnatal depression and spends a few weeks here to treat it. Then she's dismissed, and literally immediately upon dismissal, Catherine has her two-month-old baby Melissa and puts her on a train track right before a train was due. Oh, my God. She also stole an axe and did some heavy murder-related criminal threatening. Jeez. Yes, but don't fret. Baby Melissa is okay and was rescued by a town local known as Old Ted. So she didn't even, like, put her on the tracks and then pick her right back up. Someone else had to run and save no, her child? No, she left the baby on the tracks to oh go steal the axe. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, she didn't want that baby. My jaw is, like, on the floor. Yeah, I wish I could describe your face. Ugh. You are, like, a colon up, or no, an uppercase D colon face. <laughs> Do you know what I'm, do you see what I'm seeing? I'm so glad. Okay. I hope you do too, audience. But old Ted, little guy, he literally like saved her merely minutes before the train came. Like if he hadn't been poking around and I forget what it said they did. I think he owned the property close by. So he was kind of poking around and heard the crying baby and had to get it from the train tracks. Don't tell me they gave the kid right back to her. No. I honestly am not sure what happened with Melissa, though it does sound like the girls end up staying with them the later, like later on. So she's clearly okay, but it doesn't mention her much in the beginning after this. Hopefully someone else got to raise her because... My hope would be old Ted. That would be the best case scenario. Yes. But this also doesn't last long because Catherine is arrested and taken back to the hospital pretty much immediately afterwards. But... 
And this is like a hot tip for everybody in criminal justice and the hospital systems. Um, let's treat every time someone comes in like a new time. I think that's a great idea. The thing that was the problem is Catherine was brought back to St. Elmo's, but because they thought she was recovered from the most recent few weeks she stayed, she was allowed to check herself out the next day. Oh, good. That's Mm -hmm. responsible. So what do you do when you're pissed at your boyfriend who left you with your baby and you already got rid of the baby? You get rid of the boyfriend. So she goes to find Kellett. So she literally is freaking out trying to find where he goes. And how do we solve our problems. Did you say violence? Well, I wasn't going to. Well, you're right. She literally slashes a woman's face demanding to get a ride to Queensworth where Kellett left. A stranger? Yes, a stranger's face. But the woman escapes once they're at a rest stop. Like, she had to drive enough on a like a highway to get to a rest stop where she could, like, oh, be right back, and, like, dipped. She maims a woman for an uber ride yes she said hey there lift let me slash your tires and your face let's go that's terrible she i have not read of a woman as violent as this so consistently in a lot of true crime cases which is part of what fascinates me about this one she sounds a lot like eileen warnos to me yes very similar yes i find yeah violence in females is a fascinating concept to me because you just don't read about it all that often. And uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into it in some of our CJ shorts. But like we both know that women are less proportionately charged and sentenced with crimes than men. Yes. We don't it, know if this is because it happens less or they're arrested does, less. But right. It doesn't mean that women are significantly less violent. Although I, there's data to show that they it, it depends on the numbers that you're looking at. Sometimes people would say that. Others would say that we're considered the fairer sex and so we're treated as so and they yeah. prosecute a lot more leniently. But the other thing is if women want any kind of retaliation, statistically, we know women are going to go for a nonviolent route. They're going to poison. They're going to do something like that. They'll probably make it a slow death and not draw attention to themselves. But it's pretty rare for a woman to like wind up with an axe. Uh-huh. And a fully slash like... A person's face and just the amount of accounts of violence with her. Like by the end of this, I was totally desensitized. I was like, yep, there goes Catherine slashing people again. Jeez. Yep. So anyway, we're at a rest stop. The woman escapes. But Catherine finds a little boy to take hostage. No. Yes. So the. (laughs) I meant to look further into this. And if I get a chance, I will. And I'll put in something. But if I don't, the only commentary was able to find after the boy was taken hostage was that police attacked her with brooms oh my god that's it that's all i got brooms <laughs> like sweeping it under the rug much but and she sh- she already got rid of her two-year-old like she tried to she tried yeah. to just discard of her then yeah. she'd what just go g- grabs another kid i guess seems it but she, after this, is admitted to the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. So I think this is probably a more intense hospital. A for better equipped h- hospital for what she's got going on. Well, we sure would hope. Oh, that sounds ominous. So Catherine gets there and she tells the nurses she intended to kill the mechanic at the service station because he had repaired Kellett's car, David. Right. Um, which is what allowed him to leave. So then she was going to kill both her husband 
and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. Oh. So David and mommy-in-law. Good. And the mechanic, but she couldn't do that anymore. Oh. She's in the hospital. Right. Right. Um, so <laughs> David and his mother dropped the new girl for some dumb reason and went back to Aberdeen to support Catherine. No way. Yes. I literally wrote, what in the hell? What in the hell? What in the hell? Yeah. Why in the world would you be like, I love my wife, but I left her for this girl. Now I'm with my girlfriend. And well, when I heard she threatened to kill me, I was like, God, I got to have you. God, I love a woman with passion. I love a deboning woman. (laughs) So Catherine and David and his mother all moved to Woodridge after she's released from the hospital August in 1976. So four years later, on March 6th, 1980, Catherine and David have baby number two that they name Catherine. Or, oh, my gosh. Not Catherine. They name her Natasha Marie. That's a shame. Another one. It is. So Catherine moves home because she was like, you know what? I'm not into it. She leaves David. After all that. After all that. In 1984, she just straight up walks out. She dips. Yeah. She was like, eh, I could have killed the mechanic for letting him get away from me. But now that I have a second baby from him, I'm out. And he's like, I hate to see her go, but I love to watch her leave. (laughs) (sighs) So, rip. Catherine moves home with her parents and then eventually moves out to rent. And from all accounts, I see she has both kids. Okay. With her. So she has custody, whether or not that was arranged in a court or consensual between the parents. I don't know. Um, But that's what it seems. So she's back with Barbie and Ken now. She was. And then she saves up enough money and she rents her own spot. Okay. So the problem with this is that now that she's renting her own house, she's still at the slaughterhouse. She's got the babies. She's doing okay. She loses her job because she gets hurt and hurts her back. So I'm not sure what the official title is in Australia, but she essentially starts collecting like SSDI, something for disability. Workman's comp and stuff like that. Yeah. And because of this, whatever program she was going through to rent didn't need to be close to her job anymore. So she was allowed to go back to Aberdeen. Yes. So after her injury, she didn't need to be close to the slaughterhouse and they just moved her somewhere cheaper, I think. Makes sense. Yeah. So this is where we end chapter one. I'm going into chapter two. New love. Oh, no. Bow, 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 bow. Oh. Catherine meets her new lover boy, David Saunders, a 38-year-old minor. Seems legit. He moves in with her and the girls in just a few months, which I cannot recommend enough waiting more than one season to take any steps with your partner. Um, boy, I have dated some people. And I loved their winter outfits, but summer came along and I was not into it. And there's nothing healthier for children than to introduce random adults into their home and completely uplift and put their world in a world spin. It's just really great A parenting on that. Yes, I mean, whoever said that stability helps kids clearly hadn't ever had an experience like this. Exactly. This just let these little girls thrive. It's a fucking crime to those kids. Anyway. So he moves in with her and the girls in just a few months. He still kept his apartment, though, which was interesting. I'm surprised she allowed that. Same. But she is a jealous lady and she threw him out a lot about it. (laughs) 
But because he's still at his apartment, he'd just go back to his apartment. But so would she. And then she'd beg for him to come back. Which seems super healthy and like an effective way to communicate our problems. They're staying at his place? No. He would go back to his place when they fought. She would go back and be like, please come back. And And then he would be like, okay. Trot along behind her and go back. Mm -hmm. Like a good little puppy that he was. In May of 1987, though, she did cut the throat of his two-month-old dingo baby in front of him for just a reason that um, if he ever wanted to have an affair, he knew what was going to happen. He had a pet dingo? Yes, it was two months old and it was a baby. And then she cut its throat. Uh, Can you have dingoes as pets? Is that a thing over there? I don't know. If anyone in Australia ever hears this, can you let us know? Yeah, was that legal on his part? It was in the 80s. It was in 1987. So I don't know if that has changed over time or not. Well, but it like, also wasn't legal to attack people with axes. and Well, whatever. You're getting hung up. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just axes. Right after she cut the dingo throat to give him a warning of what would happen if he cheated on her, she then knocked him unconscious with a frying pan. And here's my thought. Keep this woman out of a kitchen. Keep this woman out the kitchen, but two? Bro, is this where Tangled got the idea? Stop. I'm just saying. Anyway, so June of 1988, she has baby number three. And baby number three is with David Saunders. So So the first two were by the first David. Yes, David Kellett. Gotcha. The second or the third one was by David Saunders, and that was Sarah. I did not find a middle name for Sarah, but it's a pretty name. And Saunders and Catherine went to buy a house when this happened because they were like, oh, we have babies now. So I can tell you all from experience, Allie recently, not recently, but she moved while we've known each other. And in the months leading up to that, I had so many Pinterest boards and I mean like modern chic, modern light, light academia, dark academia, dark modern, like modern classical, all of these things. Cause I was like, you know what? She'd appreciate this. And it I was some inspo. It was so helpful. <laughs> so that keep bear that in mind. I know this is the eighties. They don't have the same, you know, Pinterest pages that we have, but they had magazines right something tells me they were getting different kinds of magazines they sure were so Catherine, though did still want to take on the duty of decorating the house and she did she decorates like 110 percent of it including the ceilings which i find like go big or go home and go big at home so she did every spare inch of room there was a decoration and she would decorate with really cute sentimental things like skins skulls horns rusty animal traps machetes rakes pitchforks oh my god there's just something so welcoming about that like stick that on a yankee candle just warm and cozy i would just curl up in in a little ball or couch smell the tetanus oh my god i can smell it it stings my eyes i can smell it so good yes (laughs) nasty she had literal skins hanging from places which i'm sure for some people that sort of goes with the style and the area and everything hear me out there's a hunter style but like 
strung up skins and rusty traps and machetes should not be hanging around the house when you've got three little ones not an infant not a seven-year-old wait this is 1987 the other one was born in what 84 yeah not a 13 year old no 13 to an infant that's the ages of the kids that live there yikes so anyway now that we've had our nice little home warming and things are looking good we have the baby after one incident well, they fight a lot, obviously. But after one particular incident, Catherine hit Saunders in the face with an iron. Was it like on? Beats me. Oh, no. Don't want to know. But the other thing is right after the iron, she then stabbed him in the abdomen with some scissors. Jesus. But she's got like a machete on the wall. I mean, no offense, but you got options. I mean, have we really done some good decision making this whole time? You've got a point. Yeah. Um, so Saunders goes into hiding. He's like, fuck this shit. Um, after he returns home, though, up after the fight, obviously, he finds all of his clothes are shredded with the scissors she stabbed him with. I was just going to say with the scissors. So he goes into hiding and Catherine is batshit. She is so pissed. But literally nobody will admit to knowing where he is. Of course not. Which is so good. I don't think that a lot of people get that. Like, if it was me personally, I probably wouldn't share. But if I trusted the person and they were like, I'm just trying to find them, I might be like, well, I heard they might be headed this way. But I wouldn't give like an exact address. But But typically women are more trusted. I think if the if the roles were reversed Mm -hmm. and people had known that he was hitting her over the head and you know he stabbed her in the stomach and she runs away i think people would have been a lot would have been quiet about it so she's pissed but there's not really a lot to do she doesn't know where he is right and he comes back because he's a good guy he misses his daughter he wants to be around but when he gets there he kind of finds out that while he left she went to the police saying that she was afraid of him so that she could get a restraining order which in Australia is called an apprehended violence order so they thought that poor widow baby Catherine was afraid of him oh i wrote rich <laughs> did that mean that he couldn't go home now correct so he was forced to not be there oh i wonder who was paying the bills though hmm curious probably wasn't the disability check i'm sure if it's anything like it is now it's not enough nope so then we get to our next new love his name is john chillingworth and she has an interesting pattern here she goes david david john john i like it yeah she's consistent so the john chillingworth i wrote he is a lucky bastard but a poor guy (laughs) They began dating in 1990, and he and Catherine get pregnant with their fourth child. First boy, his name is Eric. Okay. He's cute. I have a cousin, Eric. I like him. All right. Happy wedding, Eric. He's getting married this year. I like his wife a lot. Well, that's good. Congratulations, Eric. Eric and Linda. But they are together for three years. Okay. Not my Eric and Linda, but, you know, John Chillingsworth and... Catherine, yeah, they're together for three years. I'm with you. Before Catherine leaves him for the last John. Okay. So three years, they have a baby, and then she's out. Following suit, basically. So chapter three, final love. 
Her final lover boy is John Price, and these two lovers met and moved in pretty damn quick. John did have an ex-wife, but they got divorced in 1988, so it was well within the timeline. There was no overlap with John and his ex. From all accounts that I could see, it was a pretty amicable split, and even though they had three kids, one was an infant, so the infant was with the ex-wife, and he had the other two kids. Okay, so together, they've got a house full. Yes. So she has four, he has two. Well, he has three, but in the house, there's six kids and the two of them, which is eight people, and that's a lot of mouths to feed, but that's not the point. The point is, in 1995, they moved in. That was actually pretty slow for them. They think they were together for two or so years, maybe a little more before they moved in. Which makes sense because from all accounts that I've heard and read of him, this John was pretty protective of his kids. So he wanted to make sure it was good and stable before he uprooted their lives, which I would think most parents would. However, these two moved in by 1995 and the kids liked her, actually. And John was making bank. So these were their good days. There were still fights, but it was good. They loved each other. They had money. They had good kids. Their kids liked them. Things were going well. But in 1998, the couple had a fight over the fact that John wouldn't marry her. He would not marry her. Oh, in my head, I thought they got married. Which is weird, right? Out of all of them, it's like a couple months go by, marry, move in, have a kid ditch with like a lot of violence sprinkled on top. Right. Um, but no, he would not marry her. And she, in retaliation of this, took a video of all the things that he had stolen from work and sent it to his boss. Stone cold. She was like, oh, you won't marry me? Bet this will work. Bitch, what? What? So now he's just <laughs> doesn't have a job and he won't marry you? I, <laughs> I wrote like that's going to make you pull a man quicker, sweetie. Which, by the way, I know is the shittiest thing you could say. I don't think I'd ever seriously say that to someone. But what the hell? Wow. So (laughs) what's worse is that he only ever stole out-of-date medical kits after they were thrown out. So he would bring home medical kits for the kids. And he would bring them home from the trash? Yep. He would, like, take them out of the lid of the trash. Oh. And he still got fired for this. He worked there for 17 years. That's rough. And she's probably now had a comfortable life because he was doing so well and because he was working full time and whatever. And they've got a shitload of kids. Yep. Not a lot of uh, forward thinking there. No, I would say the critical thinking skills are sorely underdeveloped. (laughs) Yikes. Um, But he was not an idiot. And he said "Mm -mm," and kicked her ass right out as he should. And she went home. Boohoo. But a few months later, she convinced him to get back together jeez because she's the fucking worst but this time he wouldn't let her move in which was good and also his friends were starting to see the red flag well not starting but saw the red flags enough to say we don't want to be around if you guys are together so this wasn't hidden that it wasn't good and at least the people that were close to him were trying to take steps to help but ultimately in february of 2000 john took out a restraining order after Catherine stabbed him in one of their fights was this the first time that she was violent to him? Oh, fuck no. Oh, okay. No, that was, you know, all the way around. Well, because he didn't get clubbed with a frying pan yet, and that's kind of her. That is her MO, but it did say that there were sprinkled in fights, but none, I think, were big enough to account 
for individual events. She just no. liked a frying pan to the head every now and then. No skull fractures for mm. this one. Not reported. All right. Yes. So, February of 2000. Awkward, though, because he did tell his coworkers the night before everything occurred that if he didn't show up, she killed him. So he knew something was, like, going on with her. Yeah, I said... In literary terms, it's foreshadowing, but is it just psychic if it's in real life? (laughs) I don't know. So he goes home. He finds out the kids are at a sleepover, um, which is fine, but weird because she set it up and she's got a restraining order out right now. Oh, yes. Um, So not so hot, but she did dress up in some black lingerie and apparently take some crude videos while her kids were sleeping and it sounds like they were a part of the content at some point not in like a sexual assault way but in like a look at this fucking guy kind of way at her kids really which is wild that's abusive Mm-hmm. um and then she went right over to his house and i don't know if she was still dressed up all sexy but you know what's black and white and red all over <laughs> <laughs> That was really bad. But I liked that. She went over to Price's house and she sits. She watches some TV. He's asleep, by the way. This is totally normal. So she essentially breaks into his. She breaks into his place because they don't live together anymore because of the restraining order. So he she just what kicks in the door or it seems it. maybe she still had a spare key, but she's there. He's asleep. He doesn't know she's there. She's inside the living room watching TV. She takes a shower, maybe got sweaty with all that lingerie and making fun of her kids. Um, But she wanted to be sexy. And then she woke him up to fuck Mm. a few times. But he fell asleep, which is like, wah, wah. I don't know if you remember this, but that's actually how her first husband got strangled on their wedding night. So that's not really her fave. That's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So we're going to jump forward to the next morning. At 6 a.m. when John Price does not show up for work. His Uh coworkers are like, oh, shit. He said that was that Catherine girl. And so they sent someone over to look at him and like check in on the house to make sure everything's okay. So the coworker goes. It was a coworker that didn't even like do a welfare check with the police? Nope. Coworker. Right on that door and they see blood on the doorway. So they call the cops. But, and I don't know if this is typical in Australia. If you live there, please let us know at some point if you ever hear this. The police didn't show up until 8 a.m. I don't know if this is because he started work at 6 and then it took a while for someone to get there and then it took a while for police to get there. But I don't know what a typical response time is. It just stuck out to me that that was a full two-hour window. Yeah. I also think that maybe because it's not like they had cell phones like we have now that he might have had to go somewhere to make a call. Possible. So Price, when the police get there and they break on in, they see her body unconscious. She had taken a bunch of sleeping pills and was passed the fuck out. But she's also laying on top of Price's body, which is under her and stained and bloody. Um, And apparently her butcher knives are a pretty important part of that. The ones that she got as a gift from her boss all Mm -hmm. those years ago? For being so good at boning, deboning. So the prosecution at court based their theory on the blood evidence. So I can't say whether this happened and she sure as hell wasn't talking, but this is their theory. Sometime after falling back asleep post sexy time, 
John got up and tried to escape. He turned on a light and he got to the door, if not out the door, before she caught up with him and pulled him back inside. She had stabbed him 37 times in both the front and the back, hitting every vital organ that she possibly could. And he died from bleeding out. That's brutal. And then she took sleeping pills and fell asleep on top of his dead body. Was she trying to take her own life? No. Actually, scratch the sleeping pills part. Because she had some fun in between then. Which, in hindsight, does make it creepier that she went back to his bleeding body to take pills and fall asleep on. But um, she did have some time to hang out before this happened. So she murdered him. He bled out. And Price, she's a giver. She thinks of the kids. And the kids were to sleep over. She doesn't know if they've had dinner. So she cooks their dad up and serves him to him. No. Yeah, that nice home-cooked meal. No. With the squash and the carrots and the veggies and the potatoes. The one, the one where you had me with the mashed potato. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those. Um, well, his head was found in the pot with the vegetables. Uh. And, like, still pretty hot, too. Like, 40, 50 degrees Celsius. Don't tell me the kids ate him. No, I don't believe they did. But... Yes, his head was found in a pot with the vegetables. She decapitated him and took other parts of his body, serving them with the baked potatoes and all of the gravy and veggies. And this was in two settings. So there were two plates in the table, indicating that there was one for each of his children. And then there was another one outside. And their thought was she probably plated one up for herself and realized that she wasn't able to go through with it. And eat her <laughs> dead ex-boyfriend. Um, but I would assume that's probably fair. And then she came in and took some sleeping pills and was like, oh, my God, killed my ex-boyfriend and tried to feed him to his kids. So they found her passed out on him with what was left of his body? Yes. And this body, though mutilated, was put in a position with, like, his arms draped over, like, a liter pop bottle. Okay. So not, like, the full two liter of Coca-Cola or some, but, like, you know, the weird kind of in-between size. Right. And it seems like she had propped him up into a sitting position with his legs crossed and, like, over the bottle. And then she kind of fell asleep, leaned on that. And he kind of leaned over, is what it sounded like. Oh, my God. But she did leave a note full of blood and little specks of skin, by the way, in case you were wondering. But um, the note read, time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck for Ross for little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Nasty. But I will just do a a few fun little corrections corners for her note. She did spell raping, R-A-P-P-I-N-G, which is rapping. She did spell daughter, D-O-U-T-E-R. Beck was her daughter? No, his daughter. And John was his son. So the kids that she named were his kids. But later when the court investigated all of this and law enforcement did... They found none of these things to be true. So she essentially just wanted to be like, look at this prick. Her leaving school at 15 kind of shows. Yeah. Stay in school, kids. Yep. 
or you might have a doubter instead of a daughter. Oh, my God. Rip. So now we move to the trial and the aftermath. Catherine was having a grand old time. And by that, I mean, she tried to get this charge dropped to manslaughter. And they were like, no. (laughs) They just straight up said no, which she should. They should say no. So in February of 2001, she entered a plea of not guilty for murdering John Price. Kind of ballsy. But it's not like if she wanted to have a trial, she was going to plead guilty. Right. So she did say not guilty. And then her actual trial finally took place in October of 2001. It was originally supposed to take place earlier, but her attorney was sick. So they had to reschedule it, I guess. You know, logistic stuff. So Knight's attorney... Catherine's attorney then spoke to the judge who adjourned the following day and the next day like the next morning in court he just dropped the whole thing because she changed her plea to guilty what yep confusing as hell jury was dismissed everything stopped because overnight she changed her plea And the judge was fine with this. He ordered a psychiatric assessment to determine if she understood the consequences of the plea. So essentially like competency. Um, But it did seem that she was competent enough to do it. And her legal team planned to to defend her original crime with the excuse of amnesia and dissociation, which was supported by most psychiatrists she had seen, but wouldn't qualify her for the insanity defense basically right so it might mitigate sentencing but this didn't work because she didn't have a trial and if they were going to do a competency hearing they should have done that before she entered either plea yeah yes i mean at least in the way the u.s system works that's the way we do it i don't know regulations in australia or if this has changed but yeah we should probably figure out competency before we take someone's word i mean you kind of start with a competency hearing otherwise it ends there you know yep So at the same one, her attorneys requested that she could be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts of the case. Seriously? Which like, go fuck yourself. I'm so sorry that you don't want to think about the man that you had sex with, let him fall asleep and then brutally murdered and cooked to serve to his kids. But that's what happened. And you made every choice in that line of events if everyone else has to hear about it you sure as shit are gonna have to hear about that Uh uh-huh so one of the people i i don't know if it was a witness or one of the law enforcement officers but he timothy lyons took the stand and while he was describing the skinning and decapitation she became hysterical and literally had to be medically sedated while in the courtroom while in the courtroom for hearing the things that she chose to do good 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 Mm -hmm. So (laughs) the judge sentenced her to life imprisonment, refused to fix a non-parole period, and ordered that she will never be released. And this is the first time this has ever been imposed on a woman in Australia. Fitting, though. Absolutely, it's fitting. So then in 2006, this is the last update I have on Catherine. She appealed to life sentence, saying that the penalty in jail without the possibility of the parole was too severe for what she did. It's actually perfectly fitting. Yeah, it's actually pretty fucking nice. Some states in the South are probably still, you know, capital punishment. The poor kids kids in this. I know. The kids, kids, honestly, the kids all around here are the losers, including Catherine when she was a kid. But not Catherine as an adult. She is fully capable and, you know, 
culpable for what she's I done. I feel for the kid, but yeah, you have to take responsibility for your actions. Yes. And what I like to end this with is the quote from the court of judges who denied her appeal that said it was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society, to which I say Catherine Knight was not civilized. Nope. Nope. And I feel so bad for her as a child. Nobody should have to watch their mother be assaulted. Nobody should have to deal with the assault themselves. She clearly didn't have a strong support or many friends. And then have a parent who tells you to buck up, basically. Yes, and get over it when it starts happening to you. That's not it. And Barbie, you know, there were some choices made. But Catherine's choices as an adult were her own. She is the one that slashed a woman's face with an axe and put her baby on a train track. Almost killed a mechanic. And this is all before the crime we're talking about. I know. Um, so Catherine Knight, wild woman. Where was Barbie's warning for this last guy? Like, she took a lot of time to let the first guy know that she was batshit crazy. Was like, Why wouldn't you let Hubby number one, know? don't fuck it up. And then he did. And she was, And then that's it? two, three... Two, three, and four were SOL to her, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know, she did her due diligence. She warned one. <laughs> this this lady. That's a rough one. So, Catherine Knight. How traumatizing for the kids to, like, come home from a sleepover, see, like, food on the table, and be like, oh, this is weird. Dinner for You get breakfast. home from a sleepover that your stepmom, who has a restraining order out, set up for you. And then when you get home, you see blood on the porch. And then you walk in and see two set table dishes full of food that looks yummy and looks like dinner. And then you go to the stove and you see your dad's head in a pot. So were the kids already home by the time the co-worker? That I don't know. I'm going to assume no, just because if there are kids at a sleepover, my guess is nobody's going to get up and be home by 6 a.m. the next day. I was going to say, that's a really shitty sleepover. <laughs> get up go home i know you seriously. did your time bye get out of here but no that is Catherine knight and she is one hell of a woman oh my god she's not even human no and it is so interesting to me the fact that she is a woman and the fact that the violence is so over the top like you really just don't see it that often and i know we all have cases of like you know our favorites the black widow and I'm so sorry. What did you say the name was that this reminds you of? Eileen Warnos. Yes. I think maybe, let us know if you guys want to hear this. We should do like a, a special topics episode about women offenders and what the sort of psychology is there. Because I remember yeah. learning so much about that and finding that fascinating and the differences between how men commit crimes and, well, statistically, and how women statistically commit crimes. And women hardly ever turn to violence. And certainly not messy violence the way this was. Like, that's the other statistical thing I know about women. Between women and men, if you're going to take your own life, women will take the easiest to clean route. Absolutely. Which is fascinating in terms of, like, gender and society, but not the point. It is wild to see someone like this so explicitly outraged and outraged towards everybody, including her own offspring. I would think if it was me, if I had a shitty childhood and I had a kid, I wouldn't be like, hey, buck up. I got it. You got it. I would be like, no, let's make this kid's life way better than mine. But that's what Barbie taught her, right? Mm-hmm. Buck up. Get on with it. It is so 
you know, I have family members that would have said she missed the nurture gene. <laughs> yes, there's not much maternal about this woman. No. Other than, you know, the four babies. That's it. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Those poor kids. I hope the kids are okay now. Me too. I didn't want to look too much into it, mostly out of respect for their privacy. Right. I... Well, I agree a lot of the times with not necessarily including full names and doing those kinds of things. I also think in this case, it was nice to include anything humanizing for Catherine because otherwise you're just like, okay, butcher machine. What in the fuck? So I wanted to humanize her a little bit because she did have a shitty childhood. And I know inside every adult brain is a kid who doesn't understand what's going on when you're overwhelmed. But that doesn't mean that you have the right to do the things she did. And her kids deserve to get some peace from that and not be bothered again. And that was sort of a trailblazing case because it had never been done before in Australia to get that severe of a punishment. Yes. So to be the first woman ever convicted with life without the possibility of parole and specifically stamped never to be released. Fascinating. That judge made sure. And I think I've seen claims that she was Australia's first documented female psychopath, which would make a lot of sense. Um, But I don't want to claim that was said by anyone who is an expert or who specifically worked with her. I can't say that I made sure that was truth. Right. Interesting case. Interesting, interesting person. Very. Heinous crimes. And I... Out of everyone in that whole story, I feel bad for her kids. I feel the worst for her firstborn who got put on the tracks and his kids. Yep. Because at some point they learned that she was going to try to do that. Whether or not it happened, whether or not they ever saw it, they learned. And everything about what they experienced was a globalized story. And how do you how do you walk into your house after that? How do you be like, yep, I grew up here, but my dad's head was right there. Back left burner. And there's the son that they had together just lost both his parents. Right. You know, she'll 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 never be out. Nope. And he's not alive. So one night, you know, it's insane. It's so heartbreaking. Interesting. And I think a really good example of why we should be good to our kids. Be good parents, you guys. And listen, I go to therapy. I talk about this. I know that I hold women to a very high standard. But I also put a lot of emphasis on the fact that Barbara introduced a very belligerent, violent man and then continued to allow him access to her kids. If you already have kids with someone and you leave and you know the person you're leaving with is violent and abusive, do not bring your kids around them. And my God, if it's so early that you don't know if they're violent and abusive, don't bring your kids around them. Exercise caution. Yes. Love whoever you want. You know, fall in love with whoever you want. But if you're responsible for the life and well-being of a child, let's make sure we're doing our part. And as two women that don't have kids, we're not trying to tell anybody how you parent. This is not a parenting podcast however common knowledge don't expose your children to traumatic events if you know they're coming when you can help it don't allow your kids to be vulnerable to adults that you don't know well 
And also, on that note, if you are not a stable adult, and by this I mean Catherine Knight, I do not mean you listening with children. I don't know you. Although I want to. Let's be friends. But if you're Catherine Knight and you know that you have an abusive tendency, let's maybe work up a parenting plan. Talk to mom. See how she did it. By all accounts, Barbie wasn't abusive. She was just abused. And, you know. Well, emotionally abusive. Um, I mean. Emotionally pretty rough. But not physically. Would have saved kids seeing a couple of slashed faces from mom. I know. Want to talk about a soccer mom. Oh, another dad joke. Oh my God. <laughs> Cannot get rid I of this. I can just see if she was like, so sorry to out myself from where I grew up, but if she was one of like the Oakhurst North moms with like the intense eyebrows, there's like a soccer mom eyebrow. I did not know that. And it's angry. It's not a good eyebrow. Oh my. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's like a good eyebrow, but it's not an expressive eyebrow in any way you'd want to express yourself naturally. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and that's what I picture that and you know her little butcher knives above the bed she kept them above her bed by all accounts until she went to prison I bet I bet she slept every night with a shank in her bed in prison I bet sexy <laughs> you guys I literally just corrected her on that <laughs> I took it out so you don't know until now but I did <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, talking about kids, we would love to see your furry kids. And by that, we mean your your cats. Send us all your photos of your cats. Cats, dogs, guinea pigs. Um, you can send snakes, though. I'm not going to say they're my favorite. But I do think they're cute when they coil up in your little headphones. Potentially. Yeah. I like um, birds. I like pretty much all geckos. I did have a Gmail in like middle school called Peace Love Geckos. That's not why. that's not the Gmail you should send this no. to, you guys. But here's where you should send them to, Abby. Yeah. Where should we send it, Allie? No, Abby, where should we? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know where we should send it? We should send it to our Gmail, not my middle school Gmail. Yes. So that would be about time, the number four, tc at gmail.com. So that would be A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, the number four, tc at gmail.com. But if you want to pop on over to our Instagram page, you can email us right from that page as well. And our Love Instagram it. page is about time for true crime pod with periods in between each of the words. So, yes, it's about period time, period four, period true, period crime, period pod. Podcast was too long, you guys. Come on. Seriously. But you can go follow us over there. We'd love to see you over there. And hey, Allie, that four in our podcast, is that a number or the word? It is the word. You got me. So that is different from our Gmail. The it, Gmail has the number, but the Insta has the word. It is. Was that a good idea? We don't know. Beats us. We're new at this. But you knew that. It's episode four. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you guys. I'm punchy. It's late. Thank you guys for joining us for the story of Catherine Knight. I hope you enjoyed it in all of its gruesome, dark, nasty, violent, twisted glory. Gory. But, um... I cannot wait to talk to you guys next as we listen to Allie's episode that will be released shortly after. Yes, Abby, thank you for that very lovely story. She sounds like a great gal. Cute little bedtime story to tuck you in at night. Uh, yes, in our next episode, I'm going to be telling you another awful, terrible story. Because so, we love it. Yes. And so do you. You clicked on it. Come on, you guys. Hey.
I'm podding here. I'm casting here. Oh, God. I'm podcasting here. Oh, my God. <laughs> you put someone from the Midwest in New England and they think they can just pack the car and have it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what did I say? Is it soda or pop that y'all don't say? No one says pop around oh my here, gosh, Abby. It's, po- it's fine to be pop. You can have pop. No, it's not. It's literally soda. Yikes. Okay, you guys. Well, now that we're going to get on that debate, it seems like that has been about, about time for true crime. crime. See you later. Thank you, guys.